I need to remind you at this point uh, in the book, at chapter 8, that even though this is a conquest of a historical nature, that it has spiritual application for us today. There's really no reason for the New Testament Christian to look into the Old Testament unless they're looking through the lens of New Testament grace and spiritual applications that help us today. I mean, if all we wanted was a history lesson, they got those in college and in school. So this is about the conquest of Joshua and the armies of Israel taking over Canaan land. But for us today, it's a spiritual picture of God's conquest over sin, over sin. In our individual lives, in our lives as a church together, it's God's picture of the work of the cross as that work is brought out in the victory and freedom that we all experience from the treachery and tyranny of sin itself in our lives. If we only knew how much bondage we were in many times to sin, we're not even aware of it until we're free. And God cares about the big sins and the small sins. I echo again the words of G. Campbell Morgan, God is perpetually at war with sin in our lives. Jericho, big city, thick wall, huge arm, big army. It's a picture of a big besetting sin in our life, the, the thing that constantly obsesses us and brings us down. But AI, which is a spot on the, the map, little tiny AI, We'll find out how big it is this morning. God cares about AI and that, that it is conquered also. Okay? Uh, now, what we have in chapter 8 is the story after chapter 7. I know that's not profound, but after the big victory of Jericho where the walls come down flat, they march a few soldiers up to tiny AI to finish it off so we can move on. And you remember there was a defeat at Ai. There was a fall. That the warriors of Ai came out and defeated Israel and sent them back to the camp, tail between their legs and injured. Now this sent shockwaves through the entire two, three million Jews because they're right at the boundaries of Canaan land. And there's lots lots of Canaanites. And so when word spreads that little Ai beat Israel, they're all coming for him now. So there's a lot of fear in the camp. Well, the reason they were defeated in Ai was because sin was in the camp. Achan had stolen the precious thing and was hiding it under his tent. And when his sin was judged by God, God put that sin away. So what we have in chapter 8 is now, what do we do after we fail and sin? What do we do in life when we just blow it and we sin and we're convicted of the Lord for it? What do we do when we fail? Well, look at God's perspective on it in chapter 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Fear is the word to be afraid. Dismayed means to be shattered in pieces by that fear. To be so crippled you can't leave the house. 
to be so demoralized and crippled that you don't want to go on as a Christian. What's the point? Sin is fearing that next thing that comes along. Fear is a crippling thing, is it not? Uh, Someone has said concerning fear... that fear knocked on the door. Faith answered, and no one was there. I like that. Fear knocks on the door of our lives, but when faith answers, no one's there. Oswald Chambers said this, a remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas when you don't fear God, You fear everything else. And God said to these people who had fallen, don't be afraid. Don't be shattered by that fear. He gives a reason for it. Turn me down a little bit, Jasmine. A little hot. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go to Ai. See, very important word in the passage. What we're afraid of depends on what we see. We choose to see. God changes the perspective of the eye socket for these men and says, look. He says, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people and his city and his land. These people who just routed you will fall to you now. I'm impressed that God does not bypass Ai. That God does not say, look, Joshua... Move around AI. It's a little town anyway. Who cares? Move into the central part. God says, go right back to AI. Go right back to the place you failed. And that's where I'm going to give you victory. Now, we've all heard the statement, when you fall off a horse, get right back on the horse. When John was small, we took him to a family reunion up in southern Georgia. They had a pool. And he got away from us and got in that pool. We found him at the bottom of that pool. He'd just gone in and I jumped in, and a fellow jumped in. We pulled John out. wasn't close to drowning, but scared us to death. And just to make sure John wasn't scared of the water, I'd stayed with him in that pool. We swam around for about a half an hour. I never wanted to be afraid of the water. Here's a place of failure. Here's a place of sin. God says, I want you to concentrate my victory on that area. And we've got a lot to read, so hang on. Verse 2. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Now wait a minute. That's exactly what Achan got in trouble for. But here's a new town, and God says, go on and take the livestock. Take the plunder. Go on. You can have it now. Just when you figured God out, you figure you haven't figured God out. Just when you got him in the box and you know exactly what he wants, he pulls the strings and said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do that. I love that about God. You can't put him in a box. He changes up all the time. What wasn't permissible in Jericho is now okay in Achan. We're going to, okay in In AI, we'll see why in a minute. And then he says an unusual thing. 
He says, this is God speaking at the end of verse 2. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. What God is talking about is military strategy now. He's talking about take some of the soldiers and lay an ambush. Military strategy. There was no strategy in Jericho. Unless you want to talk about marching around the walls and shouting and playing trumpets. That's no military strategy. Shouting and the walls come down. This is against a huge city, big city, lots of folks in Jericho, no strategy. But now you're at tiny AI, and now there's a strategy. Go figure that. I tell you something else strange about this little town. When we get to the end of the story, we're going to find out that the entire inhabitants of AI, women, children, and men, was 12,000. Now, women usually make up 60 to 70% of a population. In case you didn't know, for every one man, there's three women. Population-wise. So in this town of 12, which lends itself to a lot of jokes that I'll leave leave alone at this point. But when you talk about 12,000 in AI, how many men do you have? Five? 6,000 maybe? It's estimated that the army of Israel at this time is between 500 and 600,000. Follow it? Everybody doing the math? For every one man in Ai, there's a thousand Israelites. And you need a strategy? You need an ambush? Why not bull rush them? Why not just take your 600,000 men with no plan and just start running through the city. You're going to lose some men. Some aren't going to die. But it seems like a lot quicker process, doesn't it, to you? Jericho, no strategy. AI, strategy. What in the world is up with all that? Well, we'll, we'll let's go on in the story. We'll see. Verse 3. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go to AI, and Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor. That's, that's a great group to have. I, I, it's hard to find any great mighty men of valor in our day. But back then they had 30,000 in this army. Joshua knows who they are. He knows his army. He pulls them out. Verse 4, And he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city. Stay up kind of close to the city. But all of you remain ready. Everybody's ready for the deal. Verse 5. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, as just as before, we shall flee from before them. Now, why is Joshua going to do this? Follow this. He knows the mind of his enemy. He knows that AI just routed them. So there's overconfidence in AI. So much overconfidence that they don't send out any kind of spies to find out if there's an ambush. They whooped them one time, they're overconfident. So after they come out against them, notice verse 6. For they will say they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. 
You got it? Half a million. They just take off and start running. Notice, then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord God will give it into your hand. As soon as you have taken the city, you shall set it on fire. And you shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. This is a hard thing to do. You're going to set the city on fire. You're going to kill all the inhabitants. And Joshua stops and says, look, this is what the Lord has commanded. This is what I have commanded. He gives a little steel behind his command to make sure these men do exactly like they're told to do. When you go out to war, there's no opinions that count. All that matters is the command of the general. Nobody does their own thing in an army. You don't win battles that way. You listen to the king. You listen to Joshua. You listen to the commander. It's the way it's done. War's a tough deal. Notice verse 8. Verse 9. So Joshua sent them out, and they went into the place of the ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. Verse 10. By the way, we're going to make it through the entire chapter. Okay? So hang on. Amen. Verse 10. Because you've got to see the whole deal. Verse 10. Joshua arose early in the morning and mustered the people. He counted the people. Now why in the world would you muster the people? Why would you count the Israelites? And I'll tell you why I think he did it. I think he did it because he didn't want to lose one man. I think he did it because he didn't want one Jew to die. They were going to wipe out Ai, but I don't want one of my men to die. I want to know who all they are and who they are, because I want full and complete victory. This is why I think there's an ambush. You see, fear in the human heart will cripple it. Your fear of anything in this life will cause you to be paralyzed and not move forward spiritually. God doesn't want any pockets of fear within you. He wants all sin to be eradicated and pulled out and you have victory over all of it. He's not willing to lose one pocket of sin, one man in his army. So against Ai, when there's crippling fear, he creates a military strategy of ambush. There's a plan. He promises reward afterward. Now, mind you, 600,000 against 6,000, and yet God cares about the life of every soldier of his. He cares about all of us in every pocket of sin within us. By the way, a couple hundred years later in the Persian army, a guy named Artaxerxes would adopt a strategy of war, of bull-rushing the opponent. When the Persian armies went against Greece, their strategy was simple. We have more men than you. We will simply throw men at you until we defeat you. Artaxerxes did that because he didn't care about the lives of his men. If you look over in that very same region of the world today, you have the terrorism who, does, terrorism who doesn't care about the lives of their adherents. They fought the Greek warriors under first King Philip and then Alexander the Great, they developed a military strategy called the phalanx, 
where they lined their men up in an arrow-shaped figure with swords, shields, and armor, and they moved forward like this. No break in the, in the line. Why? Because the Greeks cared about their soldiers. You have the same thing here. God cares. That's why the ambush. That's why the strategy. And that's why for us today, he cares about every area of our lives. Okay. Let's move on. So Joshua rose early in the morning, mustered the people that went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people of Ai, and all the fighting men that were with him went up and drew near into the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. By the way, these references to a ravine between them and Ai helps archaeologists today to find tiny Ai. They find that ravine, they find characteristics like in the scripture, they're able to spot it. Anyway, that that little reference helps them. Notice, and all the fighting men who were with him, they encamped on the north side, verse 12, and he took 5,000 and set them in an ambush between Bethel. This is another 5,000 that he sets in another place on the west of the city. So they stationed the fortress, the main encampment that were north of the city and its rear guard west of the cities. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. First night he's among the people, now he's in the valley. Verse 14, as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all of his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place. Literally in the Hebrew, that's the appointed time. Appointed time, probably the same time of day that they defeated Israel the first time. It could be a place, but probably an appointed time. Notice, toward Arabah to meet Israel in battle, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So you see it playing out exactly like Joshua anticipated. So all the people that were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua... They were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel, sister city, who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. You got all the men gone. Plans working out perfectly. Notice verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Again, a specific strategy a specific moment when this javelin is raised. Everything is by order. This is different than Jericho, where they're just marching around, shouting and playing a trumpet. Now you got specifics of a victory over a very small town. Keep that in mind. We'll go somewhere with that. Verse 19, And when the men in the ambush rose up quickly out of their place, and as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city, captured it. They hurried to set the city on fire. Now, why would you hurry to set the city on fire? Because when the city goes up in smoke and flames, the army that's running out of Ai is going to see it and stop running. If you're an Israelite and you're running away from the Ai, you want that, you want that smoke to go up fast because you're getting tired. So they're, they're running away. They set it on fire quickly. 
Verse 22. 21. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came up from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side, and Israel struck them down until there was none left that survived and escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive. Always you give the king a special death. Always he gets, he gets to watch all his men die before you take him out. And they brought him near to Joshua. Verse 24. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck down with the edge of the sword. Now before I read verse 25, let me remind you. Let me remind you this was an incredibly evil culture and civilization. They were satanic. They worshipped Moloch and Balaam. They sacrificed their children in the fire to, to their gods. They had had centuries of warning from Abraham who wandered through the land hundreds of years before to Melchizedek, king of Salem, who preached among their midst. They'd had 40 years of testimony of Moses and the Israelites and the power of God in defeating the Egyptians and his care of them in the wilderness. They had their chances. I know that because there was a woman in Jericho who took that opportunity and got saved. Her name was Rahab. This was a wicked culture that God was judging. Skeptics and atheists and agnostics and haters of God take passages like this and run ranshod over the idea that God butchers women and children setting themselves up as judges over God himself. But this was not the case. These folks were wiped out, but this was the judgment of God over sin. By the way, those children who died at the edge of the sword, under the age of accountability, were rescued into the hands of God, whereas they would have grown up in a culture and been cursed with that culture. God is gracious. God is kind. God is merciful. Don't let anyone ever tell you and use a passage like this to tell you that he's not. What we should learn from this passage is God hates sin and judges it. Okay, let's read now. Verse 25. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand from which... He stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to instruction, in destruction. He kept that javelin up, kind of like Moses holding that brazen serpent up. He held that javelin up the whole time. Now let me stop and make a spiritual application before we go on. Victory to the Christian is based on the truth of the gospel. Victory to the Christian is not only based just based on the understanding that, oh, the grace of God gives us victory. If that's all you know, you don't know victory over sin. 
If all you know is that the grace of God is more powerful than my sin, that is not enough to give you consistent victory over sin in your life. It was enough at Jericho. They just blew the trumpets and shouted the glory of God and they came down. But if you're going to go through the small areas of your life and you're going to gain full victory, you must understand the strategy of the Holy Spirit in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That you have died with him. That you have been buried with him. Cut off from the power of sin. That Christ dying on the cross was your victory over sin. And we walk now in resurrection life because of that. These are the incremental instructional facts of the gospel. You don't get victory by, Lord, give me victory over sin. God has already given you victory over sin based on the fact that you have died to sin been cut off by being buried to sin. Now you rose to newness. You have risen in newness of life so that when fear and sin come knocking, faith in this gospel opens the door and you're cut off from it. If all you think is the grace of God is stronger than my sin, you don't know victory. Because victory is based on the facts of the gospel story. This javelin being held up is a picture of the cross, and we look to life from that cross. All right, let's go on, finish the chapter. Notice verse 27. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord as he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ashes. As it is to this day, the day of the writing of this book. And he hanged the king of Ahi on a tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded, and they took his body down, and they threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raised over it a heap of stones to stand to this day. This is the judgment of God over a wicked king, This is the burial by the stones, these huge rocks that just cover this thing. God is victorious over all of sin, and he will not stop until the king of that sin is under a pile of rocks. Notice verse 30. At this time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel on Mount Ebel. Ebel means bald. It means bald. This was a granite mountain, a stone mountain with very little vegetation on it. This is where they built an altar. Notice, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of Moses, an altar of uncut stone upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. Now stay with me. I know this is a long sermon. You're going to be so happy to have Josh or uh, Caleb back for his music set, so I'm shorter. But if you'll be patient and stay with me, you'll see some things that help you. Notice this altar was to be made according to Moses' command, 
these rocks for the altar were not to be cut with a human tool. We'll turn back there in a minute. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the, well, let's stop right there. And I want you to go back in your Bible to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Flip back to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Exodus is the second book in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 24. I think it's important when the scripture says, according to this and according to that, that we go back and look at the Old Testament or whatever passage it's referencing. That's an important thing to do in the New Testament when it references the Old Testament. Go back and read the Old Testament passage. It's helpful. Chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, verse 24, says this. An altar of earth. Well, I I need to read verse 22. Look at verse 22. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked to you from heaven. You have seen that I have spoken out of heaven for you. Based on that reality, he says in verse 23, You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. I don't want the fancy stuff because I'm coming down talking to you to the face. You as men, I'm talking to. This is why in verse 24 says, An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. Verse 25, If you make an altar of stone, you shall not build it of, you shall not build it of hewn or cut stones. For if you wield your tool on it, If you cut it with a tool, you profane it. Now, what's the deal there? Well, go with me to Deuteronomy. We'll talk about it once we get to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the book just before Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter 27. Chapter 27 of the book of Deuteronomy. Here is a specific... That was the... The law of altars. Anytime Israel did an altar, you can't cut it with a tool. Chapter 27 of the book of Deuteronomy, look at verse 4 with me. Verse 4. This is God's command. And verse 4 says, And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones, concerning which I command you this day on Mount There it is, Hebal. Here's a command on this very mountain. Now, if they had bypassed Ai, they wouldn't be on Mount Ebal. That's why you had to defeat Ai to get to Mount Ebal, because there's this prophecy, there's this command that once you get on Mount Ebal, the bald mountain, notice you shall plaster... I'm sorry, back up at verse 4. I've skipped ahead. Verse 4. And when you have crossed over the doors, you have set up the have commanded this down in Mount Ebal. No, I didn't. And you shall plaster them with plaster. You shall mix together plaster and wipe it across the stones. Why plaster? Notice the next verse. 
And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. And you shall wield no iron tool on them, and you shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. Now why the plaster? Well, look at verse 8. After he's told to write the commands of God, and he says, you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. How do you write on stones? You cream plaster over them, and then you take your finger and you write in these uncut stones the commands of God. All right, so what's the deal about uncut stones? Whatever God gives us in victory, he gives us. We don't have a thing to do with it. We don't cut these stones because we have no part in the victory that God brings over sin other than to believe that he's given us the victory over sin. No work, no hand is to be laid to this. Nothing's to be added to what the work of God. And churches constantly add things to the gospel that we have to do to get victory. Being faithful, being obedient. There's no command to be obedient in order to get victory. Victory is a gift of God that he gives to those who believe the gospel. Your hand is not to be a part of it. You are not to cut the stones. When God, watch this, when God came down to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ, he came down as a man. In flesh, he lives in us in our flesh, in our bodies. God is so unimpressed with gold and silver. He could care less about idols. He hates idols. It's a replacement of himself. He has chosen to commune with us in the body and temple of our bodies. There's nothing more earthy than a stone. There's nothing more natural than taking a rock out of the side of a mountain and don't touch it, just use it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is powerful. It is the work of God. It is not the work of man. 